Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to Moms and Murder, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing really good. Yeah? It's nice to see you two days in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're actually we're going to be recording this episode for the second time. Um, the first time we did it, we had some uh, complications, and we don't really know what exactly happened, but the audio sounded really, really terrible. And we're professionals. Yeah. Um, that was kind of our fault because we didn't test it or listen to any of it before we um, finished. So after we were done, we realized that the whole thing sounded awful and we did not want to torture you guys with making you listen to that. So we're going to do this again. Yeah. Second time's a charm. You know what they say. Yeah. 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 So um, if it sounds a little bit different, it's because we're actually recording in a different location than normal. We are at my house today. So um, just bear with us. We'll be back to normal, <laughs> hopefully, sometime eventually. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> um, just a quick note. Uh, we do have a new Patreon episode that is up this week. Uh, we are telling a story about our wonderful experience at an Airbnb that we stayed in when we went down to Hollywood, Florida a couple of days ago to see the I Mom So Hard live show. So if you want to hear some more about that, um, go on over to our Patreon page. Yeah, it's got everything, if It you has ask everything. Me. Yeah. Yes, there's something for everyone. There's something for everyone. <laughs> a fear for everyone. It's, it's really good. I think you guys will enjoy it. And right up our alley, just of 
things going right all the time for us. Yes. Yes. So if you would like to hear um, us telling the story of our experience, go ahead and check that out. It's patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. Got it. Okay. So today we are going to be talking about the Gonzalez family murders. This is a case from Australia. It's our first case from Australia, so that's kind of exciting. I know we've had a lot of new Australian listeners joining us. Lots, actually. Yeah, yes. So we have something coming straight from the land of Oz today. Yes. (laughs) So I will go into a little bit about Teddy Gonzalez and his wife, Mary Loiva. They were an affluent couple in Baguio, Philippines. They fell in love in their early 20s and began to build a life together. They married in 1978 and had two children soon after. Teddy used his savings to build a hotel, which the family would also live in, but on July 16, 1990, a massive earthquake rocked the city and the hotel was destroyed. So during this earthquake, they were all in the building at the time, and mom, dad, and sister all got out, but the youngest boy, the young boy, Seth, was actually trapped in the rubble. And there's actually video online you can see where the dad goes back through the rubble, moves him, he's pinned down, and rescues him from the rubble. It's really kind of amazing to watch. Yeah, I terrifying. I can't imagine having an experience like that or even having to go and dig my child out of no. a, a wrecked a, Well, you you're know, chicken little, so building. you would probably just be screaming and running in circles. Yeah. Well, I would definitely hope that my husband made it out as yeah. well so he could go back and, and rescue <laughs> our son. <laughs> my, uh, You remember I told you this story about my son um, when we were in a boat out on a lake and he had on his life jacket and he kept reaching over and he flipped in the water at like two years old and I grabbed him with my left hand, not my dominant hand, pull him out of the water and calm as a, like a serial killer just said, you're okay. You're okay. We're all okay. You're okay. <laughs> I can totally picture this entire thing yeah. playing out with you and your son. <laughs> as crazy as I am, if there's a real emergency, I am eerily calm. Like people would think I was guilty of every crime that happened around me because I'm just <laughs> super calm. So. Not me. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a freaker. <laughs> so in the wake of the disaster, the young family emigrated to Australia. At the time of their move, their son, Seth, was 10 years old and their daughter, Claudine, was seven. Teddy Gonzalez went back to college and a few years later, he made a career in Australia working as an immigration lawyer while Loiva focused on raising the kids and tending to their success. To those around them, the family appeared to be close-knit and goal-oriented, with Teddy and Loiva running a tight ship and maintaining parental authority over their children. Behind closed doors, the Gonzalez parents were quite controlling and placed high expectations on Seth and Claudine. And when the children failed to live up to those expectations, they were subject to harsh discipline and consequences. One example of this was during a time when Claudine had a boyfriend that the family did not approve of. She was actually sent away to a high school in a different city, so she was apart from him. Their son, Seth, had a baby face and a sincerity about him, but there was another side to Seth. And we're saying Seth. I really have to point that out because it's difficult for me. It sounds like we have a speech impediment because of the way that's his name, though. I struggle with words as it is. (laughs) This has really sent me on a spiral. It's S-E-F. In two days of pronouncing this, I'm just like slobbering (laughs) on myself to be able to say it. (laughs) So Seth had a habit of embellishing stories and lying to impress other people. He told his friends that he was suffering from cancer and all the while he was perfectly healthy. He actually maintained this lie for several years. Seth would forge his school grades to cover up the fact that he was not doing well academically. When his parents found out about this deception, they threatened to take away his car and his allowance. Oh, boy. Boo-hoo. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, that's just me being jealous, like totally jealous. Yeah, we're super jealous because I didn't get an allowance. I actually got a job when I was 15 at a little ice cream shop and had to quickly learn that um, money doesn't grow on trees. It's a really hard (laughs) thing to realize. It really is. And, you know, and then my parents were were expecting me, you know, if I wanted – because what I always wanted, like – I didn't want to shop at like Walmart, you know, for yeah. my clothes and stuff. I didn't really have a choice because that's what you can afford when you right. work at an ice cream shop and you're 15. So, but I realized that you can't just go and spend like your whole paycheck on like designer clothes, yeah. you know, like you think that you just can. Right. It's right. no big deal whenever you don't realize your parents are the ones paying for everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm just jealous that I didn't get like a, a hefty allowance and a nice car. Things continued to get worse for Seth, and when he was 20, he failed a course in medicine at the University of New South Wales and was on the verge of being expelled from a pre-law course at another university. His mother disapproved of his girlfriend at the time, but in the end, it wouldn't matter because she broke up with Seth and got back together with an ex-boyfriend. Was his name Seth? Because I would have done it just for convenience. (laughs) That's terrible. Um, Yeah, I get the impression, though, that the um, Gonzalez parents didn't really just want the kids dating at all. Right. They didn't seem happy with um, anyone that their kids were going to be dating, although they did seem like they... They wanted their kid, you know, they had worked hard and they wanted their kids to yeah. kind of do the same thing and focus on your education and, and getting where you need to be in life before you start dabbling and dating and all yeah. that. So, um, but yeah, that's just the impression I got yeah, from them. They seem very goal oriented and it worked really well from them. And you hear about that a lot of people who have immigrated to other countries that their first generation, especially, are incredibly hard on their children because they've seen how to succeed and how much hard work it takes. And they don't want to just give things to their children a lot, but also relationships can deter you from your goals. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So all of these things that were going quote unquote wrong in Seth's life, send him into a spiral. In his eyes, the life that he had in front of him was dim and he wanted to find a way to get out from under it. Knowing that his parents were wealthy and that he would have a large inheritance, he began to rationalize a disturbing idea. He was going to kill his parents, inherit their wealth, and just live happily ever after. That always happens. Yeah, that's exactly the way it usually works out. Yeah. Ask the Menendez brothers. Yeah. They're not sitting in prison. Yeah. This case has a lot of um, kind of similarities between um, the Menendez brothers case. It really does. Yeah. So Seth began researching methods of murder on the internet. I guess people still don't realize that you don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. There's search history. We've been over this, guys. We've yeah, been over this. Yeah. But this was a while ago, so I guess that's probably in the. So it's excusable. <laughs> everybody was dumb then. No, but I feel like it was. Uh, there was less. You were less able to track those things. It wasn't so prominent. Like now, you know, if you Google something on your computer, the police something happens, the police are going to find you. Exactly. And even so, if you delete your history, like they yeah. can still find out what you yeah. did on your computer. It never goes away. Right. So don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> so Seth learned about a type of poisonous bean that would supposedly kill in three days, leaving no obvious signs of how the death occurred. So I started to Google to find out exactly what it was so that I could give more detailed information right. for this episode. But um, then I realized, like, just what we were talking about, that it was kind of sketchy that I you was panicked. Googling. <laughs> yes, I'm literally Googling poison beans that kill in three days. So hopefully nobody I know dies of mysterious circumstances anytime soon. Yeah, well, because, we've talked about that before. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone dies within, like, 100 miles of us, like, we're on we're on the hook for it. <laughs> no yeah, matter. for sure. We have alibis are still like, no, we've I'm seen sure your search history. I'm sure we're already on some kind of watch list. So many watch lists. <laughs> Bring it. So I stopped looking into that, but I assume 
I'm assuming that it's like ricin. Right. Um, so any Breaking Bad fans out there yeah. will remember um, ricin yeah. as, you know, it's a very, um, like, very toxic, highly toxic, and only yeah. takes a small amount to kill um, a human. So very dangerous stuff. I couldn't even guess how many times I've seen Breaking Bad. It's it's like that number. I think I've seen the entire thing like four times all the way through every season. Yeah. I love it. Actually, it's getting to be time where I need to do another watch. It's been I a know. While yeah, since I know. I've That's what I was it. thinking. Next time I say, what do I need to watch? That's going to be it. Seth ended up purchasing the poison beans from a source in the United States and from a company in Byron Bay, which is in Australia. Before feeding it to his mom, he took it one step further with creating an alibi. Seth fabricated a food contamination scare at a major company by sending a letter telling them that their that three of their products had been poisoned and were already up on shelves at the grocery store, which panic, panic. Absolutely. Because you have to take something like that seriously. Right. Um, you know, like thinking that there could be like contaminated food on yeah. the shelves for the public to be purchasing. But isn't this alibi almost making it like more eyes could be on him? Because if it, if it's in fact not poisonous, aren't they going to start researching who sent this letter? Well, you yeah. Know? Well, even if they're – whether it was true or not, they're going to want to find yeah, out. They're going like to be looking into that. Know? Yeah, you can't just send a letter like that and, and expect that no one's going to kind of hunt you down. <laughs> it's a weird – it seems like a creative alibi or, you know, story, but also like – Yeah. Oh, gosh. These people. <laughs> I don't know. People. And just when you stop even doing alibis. with that. Yeah, yeah, seriously. I know. <laughs> I don't even think TV was that great back then for them to have come up with no. something like this. <laughs> All of my ideas are from television. Yeah. This was, of course, not true that there was absolutely no poison in these items, but it was Seth's way of setting up an elaborate ruse to confuse law enforcement. He sent the same type of letter to the Australian Quarantine Inspection Service and the Australian Federal Police on July 2nd, 2001. Dum-dum. <laughs> dummy, dummy, dum-dum. <laughs> Although Seth's mother did receive treatment for, quote-unquote, food poisoning, the attempt to murder his family with the beans ultimately failed. I have one more pop culture reference I have to get in here. Oh, goodness. Every time we say beans, I, it almost <laughs> sounds like we say bees in my favorite Arrested Development I love that show and you've never watched it, so you're not going to laugh about this, is one of the daughters says, I want to make a store with beads. And it, the brother says, bees? No, beads. Bees. And it like just goes back and forth because nobody can ever understand what you're saying. So I'd like to spell it. It's B-E-A-N-S. You're right. Also, I, you're I'm right. good at spelling. I didn't spelling. find that funny at all. <laughs> I know. Someone is going to like my Arrested Development <laughs> reference, and that's for that one person out there. Thank you. Probably my brother-in-law. Thank you. <laughs> On July 10th, 2001, just eight days later, Seth took his murderous plot to a new and violent level. It was around lunchtime on that day when Seth went to his unsuspecting father's office to help him repair a computer. When the work was done, Seth returned home between 4.10 and 4.30 p.m. 18-year-old Claudine was home alone studying in her room when her brother arrived. Before we start the next section, um, the details of this murder are pretty gruesome. gruesome. So we're, of course, going to keep it as light as possible and not go be – we're not going to be graphic, but – It the, is graphic. It is yeah. graphic content, so just – Fair warning. At approximately 4.30 p.m., Seth entered his sister's room with a baseball bat and two kitchen knives that he had taken from the knife block in the kitchen. Seth first tried to strangle Claudine, but when that was unsuccessful, he began to strike her with a bat before stabbing her multiple times in the neck and chest. Claudine's injuries were fatal. So Seth then, after he murdered his sister, he 
just waited for the, his parents to come home, which is one of the parts of this case that really struck me because that just seems really weird. Like at any point while you're waiting for your next victims, you could have been like, what am I doing? Yeah. Um, you know, like, what are you doing during that time? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I don't, I don't know. Um, so he waited an hour and his mom, Loiva finally arrived home from work. And as soon as she walked in the door at about 5 30 PM, Seth attacked her in the living room. He again used the kitchen knives to stab his mother in the chest, abdomen, face, and neck, completely severing her windpipe. Seth then waited uh, some more time, actually about an hour and a half, for his father to return home from work so that he could complete his plan to murder his whole family. When Teddy arrived home, it was around 6.50 p.m., and he was stabbed multiple times as well, leaving him with a collapsed lung and a partially severed spinal cord. After Seth had succeeded at killing his parents and sister, he began the work of setting up his alibi. He wanted to make it appear that the murders were a hate crime, and he used blue spray paint to write uh, racist graffiti on the walls of the family's home. So he actually spray painted um, F off Asians. Of course, not F, but yeah. you, you get the picture. Um and he removed a screen from the kitchen window to make it look as though someone had broken in and, and entered through that window. After the murders, Seth drove to his friend's home, disposing of the knives, bat, and bloodstained clothes along the way. At around 8 p.m., Seth and his friend Sam, and Sam had no idea about the murders, um, they decided to go to Planet Hollywood and then to a video game store. Super disturbing. Very disturbing. And this happens a lot where people try to establish an alibi and they are going off to a public place doing, like, these fun activities. It's very weird. And how... Yeah. It's just, it's like these people are monsters. Like how can you have absolutely no emotion or any kind of guilt feeling? And I I just can't even, I really can't fathom it. Honestly, I can't. How weird is it to be the friend? Because you know, you have to think back about that day and think what was, you know, what was different? Was there anything different? And if there wasn't, that's even scarier because you have to think this could happen again. You know, somebody in your life could do something like this Mm -hmm. and you wouldn't even know. Seth returned to his own home where he made a frantic 911 call alleging that he had just found the bodies of his family and that he believed they had been shot. He further told police that he had seen the intruders and had chased them away. That makes zero sense. Yeah. Obviously, they're going to figure out that everybody died at different times. And And they were hours ago. Hours ago. Right. So this isn't a fresh killing, for lack of a better word. So... They just were hanging out until you got there and you chased them off. Right. Babyface Seth chased them right. off. Right, likely story. Give me a break. Yeah. And you know what? That happens a lot too where people try to make themselves the hero in in crimes that they've committed. Um, Darlene Gentry, I think that was one where she said she chased off oh, an yeah. intruder uh-huh. and stuff. And so they all seem to like make themselves the heroes in these stories, right? right. <laughs> Include themselves without really including themselves. When police arrived at the gruesome scene, it was clear that Loiva and Teddy had both put up a fight in the attack, but it appeared that there was no struggle from Claudine. They first looked into each family member's recent phone history. On the day of the murders, Claudine had sent a message to a friend around 4.10 p.m. asking about a recent party. Police also found a shopping bag with a receipt that they believe was from a purchase that Loiva had made around 4.14 p.m. that day. Taking into consideration travel time, police were able to deduce that Loiva was killed around 5.30 p.m. when she arrived home. They were able to figure out that Teddy was killed about an hour and a half later by taking his body temperature and comparing it to that of Loiva and Clodine. I thought that was just really interesting, part of, um, like, detective work, because I don't 
I mean, maybe that's a thing that they do, but I feel like they would just assume that everyone was killed at the same time um, because they're all in the same house and it's the same family. It wouldn't be something that I would immediately think, like, let's check to see if everyone died at different times. Right. So Good thing I, you're not a detective. Yeah, yeah this is why You'd I'm not like, a detective. They were all killed by the same person. I've got this. <laughs> <laughs> same time. Yeah, I would make a home. terrible detective. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was interesting that they thought yeah. to even check the temperatures and compare them to each other. I wonder how obvious it was, though, because if you look at between Claudine and Teddy – there was at several hours in Several between. hours. So rigor mortis would be totally different for Clodine than it would be for Teddy. So it makes sense. But it is interesting that they can figure out – I mean, the receipts help and all that stuff to kind of pin different times down. Right. I find that super interesting as yeah. well. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. So days after the murders, police took Seth back to the house and asked him to reenact how he had arrived home and discovered the bodies of his family members. Seth told investigators about how he had gone to his father's office the afternoon of the killings. He said that when he arrived home, it was raining, and he pulled into the carport alongside the house. He said that he sat in his car talking on the phone to a friend until about 6 p.m., and when he called his home phone, which I don't really know why he did that, um, that wouldn't make any sense. Um, Just go inside, you're there. Yeah, exactly. So he says that he called his home phone, I guess because it was raining. This is his story. He didn't want to get out of the car, Uh, and nobody answered the phone, so then he just drove off without even going inside. This is what he's telling the police. This is his story. Um, so Seth said that after that, he just drove to, went to pick up his friend and the two of them had dinner in the city before he returned home at around 11.30 p.m. and discovered the bodies. So the detectives also interviewed Seth's aunt Luna, who was Loiva's sister, and she told them that she had gone to the Gonzalez home at around 6 p.m. that night, but there was no sign that anyone was home and she left. 
She later changed her story slightly and told police that when she had gone over that night, she had seen Seth's car parked in the driveway and thought she had seen someone moving inside the house. Detectives also noted that Teddy's wallet, which was full of cash, was still in the home with his body. As they began to piece together the evidence, it became clear to them that this was not likely to be a random killing. All three of the bodies had injuries that were overkill, which detectives said typically only happens in uh, personal murders or with somebody that's close to the family. Yeah. So that's I that's definitely a thing I've heard of, too. That's kind of how they know what direction to go in. Right. Um, because... It's um it's like a passion thing, right. you know, whenever it's it's multiple stab wounds and multiple, yeah. you know, so so many different injuries and it's not just like a quick some somebody came in quickly and and killed these just people. Just did what they had to do and, and got out of there. Right, right, exactly. So there's definitely some emotion behind um d- doing things like that, like the overkill yeah. factor. So that's how they kind of could tell that they were looking for somebody probably close to the family. Right. As the investigation went on and police had a better picture of the time of death of each person, they noticed a discrepancy in Seth's story. He had originally told investigators that when he found his sister's body, he thought she was still alive and tried to perform CPR to revive her. But police knew that Claudine would have been dead for hours before Seth claimed to have arrived home and that there would be no possible way that she had any signs of life. When police searched Seth's bedroom, they found an empty shoebox in the closet, which piqued their interest because there were bloody shoe prints found at the scene that they had previously not been able to identify. Police took it upon themselves to purchase the exact shoe and size that was on the box in Seth's room, and when they compared them to the footprints at the scene, it was an exact match. Police knew it was time to bring Seth in for more questioning, but they would have to wait until after the funeral. At the end of the eulogy given by Seth, he broke into song in memory of his lost family members. (laughs) <laughs> Mandy, what did he sing? One sweet day. <laughs> and it was about you as good. Do it either. It was about as good as I just did it. Oh gosh. Yeah, he no, might have been worse. Yeah, he um <laughs> I I probably was worse. No, he did the worst job of this song. And One um, Sweet Day is by Boys to Men featuring and, Queen Mariah Carey. Right. So if you're not either one of those, then you can't sing never. that song. <laughs> you should never sing it. But yeah, it didn't even seem like it was a rehearsed thing. It seemed like he gave the eulogy and decided to sing that, which is super, super creepy. Oh, and and the video of him doing it and like the acting all, you know, emotional and sad and like yeah. he, it, that is something also that I, that makes me like ragey with people who have committed a murder and then they have the audacity to go to the funeral and, yeah. and give a eulogy and, and sing one sweet day and like, we'll be together again one sweet day and yeah. all this and that. I can't stand stuff like that. I can't either. <laughs> I can't stand when people ma- ruin really good 90s songs either. Yeah. So I'm not happy about this whole thing. Yeah. But if you cannot sing, you should not sing at a funeral. I don't even care your relationship to people. I'm sorry, Mandy. I don't want to hear your singing at a funeral. I'm going to sing at yours. <laughs> Perfect. It'll be a crappy day anyway. <laughs> So although Seth was successful in gaining sympathy from friends and other family members, police were already highly suspicious that he may in fact be the killer. At this point, they had already taken Seth's computer and learned about the internet searches for the poison beans that he had conducted prior to the murders. After the murders, Seth managed to receive $15,000 in victim's compensation, but aside from that, he had very little money and was waiting it out to receive his father's multi-million dollar wealth. So victim's compensation... I don't believe that's a thing here. Hey, Australia. Yeah. <laughs> What's the deal with victims' compensation? Yeah, somebody from over there, please let us know what that is. Yeah. Um, I have never heard of anyone getting that kind of um, 
money. Like a sum. Is it given through the government? Like who gives it out? That's yeah. what, is it like organizations that do it? Yeah. I just want to know where is that this comes Is this a GoFundMe, from. like the original GoFundMe? <laughs> yeah, like or, what is that? Yeah. Um, so two months after the murders, Seth tells his family that he has a brain tumor, uh, which of course was a lie, but he was very familiar with making up medical yeah. emergencies. Been there, done that. That didn't exist. So he thought that if he had said that he had this problem, it would make it easier to um, get access to the family's estate. Right. And his real plan, the reason why he wanted this, was because he had already visited a Lexus dealership and placed an order for a $175,000 Lexus sports car. Sure. Uh, because that's a totally normal thing to do after your entire family's just yeah. been killed. It's very Menendez-like, again. Yeah. So he... Um, that's what he wanted the money for. Like I said, he went and placed an order for this car and had even told the guys at the dealership that he was going to pay for this with his inheritance that was coming in. Right. So we talked about this yesterday. I didn't even realize you ordered cars. Right. But if it's that kind of expensive car, you're going to order it because I have a feeling every single thing is going to be custom made however you want it. Right. You know, you're that makes get sense. The color and the color of seats and the type of yeah. material and all of it's going to be exactly tailored to what you want. At least that's what I hope you're yeah, getting. Yeah, I know. Buying that expensive of a car. I know. <laughs> I've never been to that part of the dealership. I'm typically in the end with like broken windows and where car facts reports don't check out. And right. there's just like question marks on the windshield. And it just says OBO. No, yeah, OBO, right? Or best offer. But there's yeah. like a $10 bill sign on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or best offer. Tumbleweed's blowing right next to you. So I've never yeah. made it that far in yeah, the no, no. car dealership world. Yeah, no, Sounds no. fancy. Definitely. Uh, so when Seth was unable to get his hands on the estate, he started doing things like pawning his mom's jewelry, and he sold his parents' cars. I believe he got about $80,000 um, for selling the cars that his parents had owned, um, which, again, very odd behavior from someone whose family was just murdered. Right. Seth's Aunt Luna believed that Seth's behavior following the murders was very odd. Seth had gone to see his father's accountant days after their deaths and was seen driving his mother's sports car all around town. She felt that it was an inappropriate behavior for someone who had just lost their entire family. Point for Luna. <laughs> <laughs> New information began to emerge about the type of relationship Seth had with his family. It was learned that Teddy and Loiva had been coming down hard on Seth recently because of his poor performance at university, and that his sister Clodine had recently informed their parents that Seth had been forging his grades. As the suspicion against Seth started to grow, detectives decided to enlist the help of an undercover agent. The plan was to have the agent form a close enough relationship to Seth in hopes that he would be able to get more information about the murders. <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> How do you just put an undercover officer in someone's life and just, like, they don't suspect that anything's weird about? Like, a new friend just wants to get to know you all of a sudden? What was the movie with Drew Barrymore and Michael Vartan whenever she goes to high school and, like, they kind of end up falling in love with each other, but she's not actually in high school. She's a writer. Oh, never been kissed. Yeah. So remember in that movie, that always creeped me out on multiple levels because she's supposed to be in high school, but he clearly develops feelings for her and he thinks she's in high school and then turns out she's not and it's not creepy. But it's the same idea like somebody – Yeah, that is – Well, it's not the same idea, but for whatever reason it popped in my head where you – yeah, like, how does somebody do that? I was not buying Drew Barrymore, and I wouldn't have bought this guy either. I yeah. probably would have. I'm kind of a dumb with this kind of thing. Well, I just was thinking, like, it's it would be strange, like, after this had happened, and then all of a sudden, like, you already know the police are suspicious of you. So 
it would be wise of you to like not make new friends, not make new friends. Yeah. You can't yeah. pat people down for wires if they're talking to you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, the new friend, the undercover agent, um, I guess was able to ask, get certain information and details out of Seth, like right. in just conversations they were having as friends. Yeah. And, um, the conversations revealed some things, the details that only the killer would know. So, I don't, I don't even know. But with this new information, they were able to gain an almost perfectly clear picture of what had happened. Uh, when Seth had returned home from his father's office that afternoon, he was already in a rage. And he knew that he was on the verge of failing his exams. When Seth had returned home from his father's office that afternoon, he was already in a rage. He knew he was on the verge of failing his exams, and he blamed his sister Claudine for outing his poor performance to his parents. He quietly crept into her bedroom and delivered the first blow to her head before stabbing her. After the murder, he placed a red sweater over her body and waited for his mother to arrive home, knowing there was no way out of this but to kill both of his parents as well. Or, or hear to just, me out, yeah. <laughs> just stop what you're doing, right. go to prison, and feel, feel bad. bad about it. Yeah, <laughs> But don't but kill anyone But only kill else. one person. Yeah. So he dressed himself in his father's jacket and put on a pair of gloves to keep the blood off of himself. When he heard his mother pull into the garage, he made his move and attacked her from behind as she entered the home. He slit her throat and then dumped the contents of her purse beside her body in another attempt to confuse the police. It was just after he had killed his mother that his aunt had pulled up to the home and rang the bell. He quietly hid until she left and waited for his father to get home. At around 7 p.m., Teddy arrived at the home carrying his briefcase. Seth attacked him almost immediately and then carefully distributed the contents of the briefcase near his father's body. Seth then took a shower and spray-painted the racist graffiti on the walls before leaving the home. It's so weird to me that he, like, just showered and yeah. just took his sweet time. Like, you know, his his whole family is dead in the house with him, and he's just going about it, like, totally yeah. normal. Well, I don't understand, and we've talked about this kind of thing before, using weapons that are found in the home. Typically, if somebody's coming in to kill people and paint racist graffiti they bring their own spray paint but they don't bring their own knives right and that the police aren't going to notice there's knives missing from the knife block right. and immediately be like well those are obviously the murder weapons right, right. I, it just it doesn't make any sense it's no. not thought out but he had hours in between each killing to like Think. think about the details. Again, yeah. we don't want them planning these things well, anything like that. If you We're do just this, saying he's a dumb dumb. <laughs> yeah. Just going with all the themes of dummies. Police informed Seth that they were able to disprove his alibi, at which point Seth changed his story again, and he told police that he was at a brothel at the time of the murders. He paid a taxi driver $50 to tell the police that he was given a ride to another city. So Seth actually paid not only the taxi driver, but he also paid um, a sex worker to say the same thing that he was that she was with him, and she agreed. Of course, whatever it's free money, you know, right. like and didn't really care, you know. Yeah. And then, but there was a little problem that I guess even the she didn't realize that um, she wasn't working that week. So yeah. when detectives actually went to this brothel and started questioning, um, you know, was this person here? Was he with this specific um, woman during? that night and they were like actually no she wasn't even working that week so he wasn't with her you know that's probably why she took the money she knew she wouldn't be in on it anyway right what i mean right she's like great dummy yeah yeah exactly (laughs) um so and then the poor taxi driver of course he just 
was a, didn't have a clue that this was because Seth was hiding um, the fact that he had murdered his right. family. He was assuming that he didn't want, like, his girlfriend or something to know that he was going to a brothel. So right. he was saying, like, oh, just tell – if anyone asks if you saw me, just say that you took me here to this place instead. Right. So – but this is just Seth setting up all of these smoke screens and setting up all of this confusion for the police. And um, it's just another thing that I've said before that really irritates me because I wouldn't have any patience for that as detectives or investigators looking into stuff, I would be so irritated with somebody for sending me all these different directions and giving me all these things to, like, look into. And You know what concerns me? As much as we get frustrated and irritated about all these things, we are moms and we are home with children all the time. (laughs) Nothing is more frustrating than children. So maybe maybe just we can't take any more on top of what we deal with. Maybe we wouldn't be good investigators. When we don't have small children. When we don't have small children around. (laughs) At this time, Seth was already under heavy surveillance while the police tried to obtain solid proof that Seth had killed his family. News reporters began approaching Seth for his story, and at first he demanded a large payment to tell it. Go figure. But one reporter convinced him to talk about it for free after assuring him that selling a story would make him appear greedy. No, he's not greedy <laughs> at all. Why am I not surprised that he was like demanding yeah. a large sum of money for um, telling his story? Yeah. Like, just well, so Well, like ridiculous. we learned on Dateline, you don't get jack from them. No. I don't know how it works in Australia. But no, you go on Dateline because you want your story on Dateline. You don't yeah. go because they're paying you. Or you want to talk to Josh Mikowitz. That's yeah, about that, it. <laughs> that would be my motivation. There you go. <laughs> Seth then creates another lie and claims that he was also attacked and warned not to speak to media again or he would suffer the consequences. Who who's threatening him? Who's who? threatening who? who? Who is it? Who is it? Give us names. I don't buy it. Yeah, me either. But just we've talked about this before. But you look at somebody like Casey Anthony who kept her crazy story about Zanny the nanny, but she never changed it until they got into the trial and those theories. But this guy changed it so many times, and it seems like the second you change your story, you're not as. I mean, not it seems you're not as credible. Right. So it almost seems like you'd make more sense to just stick with that first one. And if they can't totally disprove it, they can't prove it either. So, you know, you could be okay. So police had had enough of Seth's deception and moved on to arrest him. After 11 months of intense investigation, Seth was finally charged with the murders at the grand old age of 21. Mm-mm-mm. That's not great. No, I am. Um, no. I haven't just accomplished so- that much in my life, but I have managed to stay out of prison for murder. Uh, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Only time will tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is still a lot of life left in you. <laughs> so Seth eventually launched a claim on his parents' estate to fund his defense. He thought he was going to get his hands on his dad's millions so that he could fund his defense of for their murder. Yeah. Just outrageous. Okay. This it's- is like typical 21 year old, don't know how anything works um i feel like unless you're a listener that's 21 in which case you're very very bright thank you for listening um no but this is the same dad who like pulled him out of the rubble and saved his life it's really upsetting so much more sad it It really is because man he sacrificed his life for him and then he turned around and killed his dad just out of greed yeah like he would have inherited that money eventually he didn't want to wait. Yeah. He needed that $175,000 Lexus but right again, away. Let's play this all the way through. Best case scenario, you get that money in, your whole family's dead. Worst case scenario, you go to prison forever and everybody's still dead. And you still and you don't get the money. And you don't get the money. Ever. ever. Way worse. <laughs> right. <laughs> Way worse. 
Just wait it out. I've been watching 60 Days In on Lifetime or We or one of those about prison. And let me tell you, any bad thoughts I've ever had about committing crimes, which I don't really have, um, I'm staying out of there. 60 Days In, a new reality show? It's a new reality show. It's about people who volunteer to go into jail for... Reasons that never make sense. Like, I had a family member that's incarcerated. I wanted to see what it's like. Oh, Go ask them. Sit down and ask them questions. (laughs) Sure. It's really pretty interesting, but they can – it's terrifying. I I mean, I knew it was terrifying, but if you watch this, you're like, oh, you're going to get shanked. But – have you ever heard of anyone talking about their experience in prison and making it seem like something that you want to try? I mean, As soon as no. I found out they didn't have AC, I'm out. Oh, yeah. And I don't know. Like, we talked about that in that in a previous episode. I think it was Anthony Andy Curcio. Curcio. Yeah. And it just never occurred to me there was no AC in prison. But it and makes sense, I guess. Or if, like, in Arizona or yeah. anywhere where it's, like, desert and hot. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no. I, I don't think I could – yeah, I couldn't get and down Florida's with that. a death penalty state, so I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> you just put yourself nope. on death row. So yeah, I'm, just like, <laughs> I'm good. Just take me out right now. Um, so, of course, this um, this claim on the estate that he was trying to get a hold of his parents' money—they denied that. Um, of course, they did. They didn't hand over money for him in jail to use for whatever. Um, And his trial began in April of 2004. So Seth's defense was extremely weak, and there was a lot of evidence against him. And during the trial, the jury was taken to the home where the murders had taken place, and one juror noticed a rare and poisonous plant growing in the backyard. This is presumably where Seth has either tried to hide or maybe intentionally planted or just discarded these Poison beans. <laughs> do you remember the finale on Breaking Bad? One of them, spoiler alert, and they do a zoom out from the plant in the backyard. That's like a really big s- scene, and you realize that he had been growing it in his yes. yard. Yes, yes, I do stuff. remember that. That's what this reminded me of um, when you were explaining it. Yeah, so great job painting a visual picture for me. Yes, um, but I again, I, is it normal that the jurors get taken to the crime scene? So I don't think it's like every case you get to take a field trip, but I do think that sometimes it's necessary to show them um, a place, measure it out, stuff like that, stuff that you can't do in a courtroom. I mean, I've always seen like the big poster boards where they have like the map of it and they'll put like, you know, like this is where he was standing and this is where the um, victims were found and this and like a diagram to kind of show you. Um, I just guess I've never heard of like taking the jurors to the actual crime scene where people were murdered. That just seems odd to me. And personally, as a juror, I wouldn't really want to go there. Um, I don't know. If you you're would. not going to be haunted, man. I don't you're know. just going in a building. I just feel you disrespectful. Can be in a building like, go, that, I don't know. I, just, I don't want to be like a gawker. Like, I'm just going. Are you taking a camera with you? Are you selling <laughs> photos? If not, you're doing your job as a juror. You're I guess. Just learning. I guess. Oh, man. I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) So it was also revealed in the trial that Seth had traces of blue paint on his clothing um, the night of the murder, which, of course, was the same. They matched it to the spray paint that was found on the walls. And, of course, that's just like guilty, guilty, guilty. Right. So he was found guilty, thankfully, and sentenced to life in prison. And – Good. I'm happy. So way to go, Australia. This feels very Florida-like. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. You're one of us now. I'm so happy that he is in prison for life. That's exactly where he needs to be, and um, I hope he never, ever gets out. And I don't think he will. No. <laughs> you know? Uh, so that is the story of the Gonzalez family murders. As you guys know, we have been talking about um, our super special guest that we're going to be having on, um, the ladies of I Mom So Hard. 
we went to their live show this past week, like we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, and it was great. And we actually got a chance to meet them. So yeah. that was really a, a nice experience. And um, we are supposed to be talking to them today, the day this episode comes out, Tuesday. Yeah. And So I'm throwing up in a corner somewhere right now. <laughs> I don't know what Mandy's doing. Whatever time you're listening to this at, we're panicking no matter yeah, what. Yeah, we're panicking, sweating. <laughs> Mandy's going to have to sit on a pillow again for this episode yeah. to <laughs> so be I tall can... enough to see the screen. <laughs> yeah. So we, um, as long as everything goes off without a hitch, we have a time set for this interview yep. and everything should be just ready for next week's release. So look for that episode yeah. next Tuesday. Um, we're really excited and can't wait to share the I Mom So Hard ladies with you. They are big true crime enthusiasts. Enthusiasts. One of them had a serial killer from their town that they want to talk to us about. And so they're big true crime nerds and, of course, moms. If you're not familiar with them, check out hashtag I Mom So Hard, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can see some of their videos. They're actually comedians here in the States and um, have a pilot going up on CBS in the fall. They're legit, guys. They're legit, and they don't even know how they got <laughs> they mixed up with this nonsense. They are way cooler than we are. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be really good. It won't be a case, but it'll be um, – you won't want to miss it. They're absolutely hilarious. So it'll be – It'll be something different, but I think you guys will really enjoy it. Yeah, and we're really excited about it. So yeah. look for that, and we uh, can't wait to see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Last thing, I wanted to say a quick happy birthday to my sweet daughter who turns nine on Monday. Happy birthday, Ash. We love you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms of Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.